welcome Raise Your Inner Game. Today, I'm David Levin. This is our Friday episode, so we're talking all things inner game. Tuesdays are for sports and sports parenting. Fridays are for everybody. So how are you today? How are things with your inner game? Stressed, anxious, tired, anything like that pulling on you, or are things pretty good? For me, things are pretty good. I'm starting to feel back to normal after our big ski trip. Took a while, but I'm getting there. I hit the gym earlier. Went for the first run in a long time. All felt good. Had a great visit with my chiropractor yesterday. That definitely helped. So, yep, pretty, pretty good. So we have a few good things to talk about today. My ups and downs for the week. Uh, the importance of reason and emotional self-regulation. Uh, the story about the COVID lab leak theory, it's in the news. The core insight that leads to being able to self-regulate, think clearly, emotional self-regulation, all that. Financial advisor Molly Binger joins us again to share a great model for knowing what you'll need in retirement, how much you'll need. It's very helpful. Uh, a powerful intergame practice uh, in our challenge of the week. And another new TV series I'm enjoying about golf this time. So I'll start with ups and downs. What things were lifting me up this past week? What things are pulling me down, making life harder? In the ups column for this week, I have two. The first is, there's this cabin we've rented the past couple of summers for a week or so, and we just love it. Margaret's family had a cabin forever that we would go to up in northern Minnesota, but it took like eight hours to get there from here. And when her dad passed away, uh, the kids sold it. And for us, anyway, the idea was, to take our portion of the sale and use it to rent a place closer to home and to fund other kinds of vacation things. So anyway, we found this beautiful, perfect cabin. Went two years in a row. Again, just loved it. But a couple months ago, the owner let us know that it was not gonna be available this year. So, bummer. <laughs> we looked around for another one. We liked and we just couldn't find one. So we decided, I guess no cabin this summer, which was, you know, honestly a little sad but what are you gonna do? So we sort of forgot about it. But I got a note yesterday morning from the owner saying, plans have changed, the cabin is available after all, and so we booked it, and we're going to the cabin this summer again. <laughs> we are so happy about that, it was just so exciting. Uh, first of all, I was so thoughtful of them to reach out and let us know, but it all came together, it was such a great surprise, and it just tickled me, tickled all of us. It's gonna be great, we're going to the cabin again. That's great. So that's my first one. My second one, I'm a little reluctant to share because it's sort of bragging, I guess. But our uh, Raise Your Inner Game Sports Academy, we mainly offer classes and do private coaching directly with athletes. We also train coaches to lead the training for their team. And we also have a program for independent coaches, independent business people who you know, will offer training to kids in their area. And we call those workshop leaders. So yesterday we had a new person join that program. Always exciting. <laughs> but this individual also happens to be a former NFL player. Cornerback, he played nine seasons in the NFL. Average is three. That's a long career, he's a serious guy. And he has decided to join our team as a sports academy workshop leader. My goodness, you can imagine that pretty much made my day. <laughs> Combine that with the cabin story, and that was about the best day ever. So those are my ups this week, and they were pretty excellent. <clears throat> Excuse me. For my down, also happened yesterday, actually. And it wasn't a huge down, but 
I had to drive to Madison a couple hours each way uh, to get our car worked on. It was making some scary noise in the front end. Turns out it was a bad bearing. And the trip went well. I mean, they were able to fix it pretty quickly. But I was not looking forward to that drive. I had to make a similar drive a couple months ago for another problem with the car. And there are just some parts of owning an electric car that are starting to weigh on me. We have a Tesla Model Y, and we love it in so many ways. But we drove it to Colorado two weeks ago and decided not to do that again. Just too much hassle. And, and by the way, Tesla is so far ahead of everyone else. It could not possibly be better than a Model Y for a road trip, but it was still too much. Added hours to the trip, tons of stress, paying attention to the charge levels, all that. It's just too much. And then having to drive two hours each way to get it worked on. Now, that's not our fault. We live uh, you know, away from the dealership, but still, it's part of the ownership experience. So again, it's not a huge thing. And yes, I know, first world privilege problem, of course, but still, it's a load. It's an inner game load, and all loads have an effect on our inner game. So it's something you, you know, have to manage and minimize where you can. Anyway, those are my ups and downs for the week. Next up, our quote of the week. All right, our quote of the week this week, we'll hear from Benjamin Franklin. I probably do not need to tell you who Benjamin Franklin is. <laughs> Fascinating guy, historic figure, iconic figure, and a great source of quotes. So his quote this week is, if passion drives you, let reason hold the reins. If passion drives you, let reason hold the reins. This may be the perfect quote for our times. Funny side note just occurred to me. Uh, at the time he wrote that, it probably had even more obvious resonance with people because everyone then knew what it meant to hold reins, right? Everyone rode horses. <laughs> Everybody instantly related to the feeling of having them in their hands and using them to guide their horses. Anyway, I thought that was fun to think about. But the quote itself, again, just so good for our times. With everything else you could say about our crazy world today, passion run amok without reason is a pretty good summary. And this is on all sides. On the right, it's the fear of what I see as almost entirely made up threats, but it's still real fear, right? On the left, it's fear of the dangers of the right. And I, of course, am aligned with the fears of the left, but that's not the point here. The point is the fear itself and what it does to us and how it keeps us from doing what we need to do, which is to find a way to stay present and focused and to think clearly about the problems we're facing. That's how we make things better and move forward. And when passion drives us, it tends to drive us in the opposite direction. And it's tricky too, because when fear is driving us, we don't see that it's clouding our thinking. All the things we do seem perfectly logical. There's a threat, we respond, makes perfect sense. A classic example of this is the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. At the time, to many people, if not most people, it made sense to send people of Japanese descent to internment camps. Even, you know, they were American citizens. This perceived threat that what they might do out of loyalty to Japan, it seemed like the safe and smart thing to do. Afterwards, when we regained our normal perspective and our empathy 
we were ashamed of it, and rightly so. One of the big things that happens when we get pulled down into a lower fear-based state is that we lose our empathy. And that's what makes it so dangerous. That's why when autocrats want to incite people to attacking certain groups, they tell stories about how those groups are a threat to us. Step one is to get people afraid, so they move into self-defense mode, their empathy shuts down. Step two is to unleash them on the other. And there are countless stories of this throughout history all over the world. So anyway, that's pretty dark, but we need to be very careful about how we respond to triggers and work to keep ourselves from getting pulled down into fear-based thinking. And this quote tells us how to do it, or at least part of how to do it. We need to let reason hold the reins. Clear thinking, emotionally connected reason. That is the way out and forward. And that's our quote for today from Ben Franklin. If passion drives you, let reason hold the reins. Think about that, and we'll move on to our top stories. All right, top stories. This week, my top story ties in perfectly to what we were just talking about, reason versus passion. So the news item is the renewed interest and belief that COVID came from a lab leak in China. So it's the lab leak theory. Maybe you heard, but one of the departments of the government updated their assessment and said they now believe, based on new evidence, though it's with low confidence, uh, that COVID did actually begin with an accidental leak from the Wuhan lab. It's interesting because I had just heard a podcast the week before talking about this with a couple of experts that seemed persuasive to me that said the same thing. They still can't absolutely know because the Chinese government won't release the information needed to confirm it. But given what's available to them, they feel it is almost certainly a lab leak. What's interesting to me in this is not whether it was a leak or not, though it's obviously super important to know that so we can better protect against it happening again. The interesting thing to me is how difficult it was to think clearly about it. When I first heard this pod, and again, it was uh, Sam Harris, who I trust completely, and two very impressive guests, it sort of blew my mind because in my media bubble, I always heard that the lab leak theory was just the rights racist conspiracy theory. In fact, I believe the whole topic, speculating that it was a lab leak, was blocked on Facebook and maybe Twitter for being misinformation. So that's what I thought about it this whole time. So when I saw the topic on Sam's pod, I assumed he was going to go after the conspiracy theories. But as I was listening and hearing the evidence and thinking, wait a minute, it actually was a leak? <laughs> Again, it was sort of shocking because I had firmly believed it was something else for quite a long time. So this comes back to the point about passion versus reason. And by the way, this is not meant to pat me on the back, but I do think it's important. From day one, I heard one story about this. And according to my team, my tribal team, this was the only story. And arguments to the contrary were just dangerous and bad faith and evil. And that's how tribal things are working in the world now. We believe what our team believes, the other team are lying devils, right? But when I heard this new information presented by people I trust in a credible way, and I thought about it myself and it seemed to make better sense than what I originally thought, I changed my mind. 
I was able to let go of what my tribe thinks and accept the new information. And this is really fascinating too. Again, I heard this pod out of the blue. It was several days later before the news came out that the government agency had also updated its assessment. So as the news came out, I was already convinced. I heard so much pushback and outrage and skepticism about the news, angry dismissals, attacks on the media for how they reported the story. All that bias against the leak theory was absolutely clear to me. So again, that's the important piece to me. And it is arguably the most important thing of all right now. We have real problems in the world, to say the least, big, important, potentially existential problems. The best tool we have to address those problems is our ability to think clearly about them and take educated, reasoned action to make them better. High-level thought, creativity, and problem-solving are our greatest abilities as a species, and we can do amazing things, amazing things. But when we let our passions be in control, our fears, etc., the first thing that goes is our ability to think clearly. And when that happens, it's a downward spiral and it's truly dangerous. And I think we see that at play all around us now, every day. The real reason I created the Raise Your Game material in the first place, starting back in 2010, was to help fight against this problem, to give people the tools they need to keep from getting pulled down by the triggers in their lives so they can continue to operate at their highest level, meaning to observe and think clearly and come up with creative solutions to the problems they face. That's what it was meant to do. And again, not to pitch my stuff, just to reinforce how fundamental this problem is. We simply cannot solve the problems we face if we can't think clearly about them. For me, a big part of why I rejected the lab leak theory in the first place was because Trump was supporting it. And of course, he was doing it in a totally stupid and racist way. You know, I mean, even if it did come from a Chinese lab, that doesn't say anything about Chinese people, maybe something about their system. But yeah, sometimes, and I've heard this said elsewhere, it always makes me laugh, the worst person in the world can say something that's kind of true that you could agree with, you know? I can't just reject out of hand everything that comes from the other side and vice versa. That's what thinking clearly means. What is the evidence? How credible is it? We have to be able to do that and accept the best evidence wherever it comes from. So that's what stood out for me in this news this week. Yes, it's fascinating and important to get to the root cause of the COVID outbreak. But the bigger point to me is that we have to do our very best to retain the ability to evaluate evidence and think clearly about the problems we face. So the Tolstoy rating for this story, the lab leak in the first place, how does it serve humanity? Obviously pretty bad, risky experiments, loose security, seven million people dead, Jesus. Can you imagine having that on your conscience? But no one has credibly argued that it was anything but an accident, right? Not intentional at all. So it can't get the worst rating, but still, yikes. Uh, let's say a four, okay? Not intentional, not taking advantage of others for personal gain, but wow, so dangerous and deadly. Anyway, that's our top story this week. COVID probably came from a lab leak after all, and we need to have the uh, retain the mental ability to accept information, new information when we get it.
All right, next up, Intergame Gold. All right, Intergame Gold. So these are the ideas and the concepts I come back to over and over to help me stay on track. Last week, we talked about the quote from Leonardo da Vinci that opens the Razor Intergame book, The Height of a Person's Success is Gauged by Their Self-Mastery and what that means. This week, I want to look again at another quote that is really at the heart of the Razor Intergame material. And it is, you have thoughts, but you are not your thoughts. You have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. We're talking this week about emotional self-regulation, about reining in our passions with reason. This observation, excuse me, is the first step in that. In order to get control of our lower impulses, we first have to decouple from them. We have to depersonalize them. These thoughts and feelings and impulses are not the real us, they're just things that arise in us as if there was someone else in there saying these things to us. The more clear we can get about that, the easier it is to keep them from taking over and controlling us and making us think and say and do things that are not helpful and that we don't feel good about. So not a ton more to say about this. Again, it's just a helpful, a super helpful thought to revisit now and then. You have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. You have emotions, but you're not your emotions. You have a body, but you're not your body. The more real that is for you, the better everything gets. So that's our inner game gold for the week. You have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. Think about that, and we'll move on to raise your outer game. All right, raise your outer game, where we talk about the things we care about in our outer life, our health, our relationship, our finances. And this week, we're joined again by our favorite financial advisor, Molly Binger. Molly, thank you for joining us again. My pleasure. So what should we talk about this week? What do you have for us? I thought I'd just share a little insight into how we and our team think through starting to plan for what your retirement, what we call your burn rate is going to be. And it's the term that we basically use for what an individual or a partner or family spends on an annualized basis. Okay. And it's interesting how then you can back out from what that burn rate is and really analyze the cause and effect relationship between what you spend versus what you save. You know, and it's it's not a question in our practice, at least, that you should save everything, right? It has to be a balance because tomorrow's for sure not guaranteed to all of us. And you want to have it be a balance of what you do now and the memories you make now versus what you're saving for later. But determining that burn rate really, truly helps you decide how much should you be saving and what's appropriate to build to reach that retirement yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so first off, the main thing with burn rate, when we talk about that, is we just think about it as an annualized spend amount, okay? And it's really funny in, in client meetings, if you were to ask a, a person or a couple, what do you think you spend on a monthly basis? It's usually, you know, missing about 25% of what they actually spend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so how then we 
partner with them to really figure out what their true burn rate is, is we basically just take the data that we collect, right? Their tax return, their checking account statements, all their account statements, and we do a little digging behind the scenes and come back to them with what we would have determined as their burn rate. So a little insight on how we come up with that when we're doing our digging, if you will, is we take their total, total gross income as a household, right? Which is right there, smack dab on their tax return. It's very evident how much in total they have coming in, right? Because we can only yep. work with what we have. You know, you're limited to that annual income amount between the two of you to determine how you're going to support your goals and priorities. So we take that and then we start to minus things out, right? We take, let's say a couple makes $200,000 between the two of them. What's the first thing that's got to go? What do you think it is, David? Oh, you're asking me. I am going to say the taxes that came out of there. Number one, you are spot on. If it's family, that's answer number one, right? We got to take that 200. We got to minus out those taxes. So let's just say that's incredible enough, let's say it's 50 grand, right? So now we're down to 150. And then the next thing we minus out is any payroll deductions, right? Things that they have coming out, you know, before their pay hits their account for say, health insurance premiums, you know, disability and life insurance premiums, all those deductions that come out of that paycheck going to those different expenses. Okay, the next thing that we subtract is any savings they're doing, right? Whether it's through payroll deductions into 401k plans, but it could also be auto savings they have leaving their checking account that are diverting into investment accounts for a certain goal or Roth IRAs or different accounts, right? So let's say that's now another 50,000 between the payroll deductions and any auto savings this particular couple might be doing. And if we then say, okay, 100,000 is net what these guys have coming out, the last thing that we'll separate is their mortgage if they own a home, kind of the principal and interest, mainly because that typically has an end date, right? And so that's not gonna continue into fruition and if that's another 15,000, let's say, between the principal and interest, they're left with 85,000 on their balance sheet of what they're maybe spending. And the last thing we'll look at is if they typically make some sort of annual lump sum contribution into a savings account, right? Or, um, their savings account just seems to always be growing by a certain amount, we'll kind of know, okay, they're not spending that. And we just assume everything else is being spent. Okay. And so that end number of what's kind of being spent on an annual basis is what we label as their burn rate. And then what we're projecting forward all the way through age 90 or 95 or 100 or whenever you want to assume, you know, you're going to expire, right? Mm -hmm. And we're inflating that all the way through to then help us back into how much should this couple or individual be saving to get them to a place where they have enough in a pot to spend 85 grand a year from 60 to 90, 
or whenever they plan to retire. So that's couple, that's the idea. A couple of questions in there. Um, one is, so you take the mortgage out, but uh, you know they may or may not have that paid off by the time they retire, mm -hmm. right? So that would still need to be something that they are spending. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's plugged in as far as when you know the end year of okay. that mortgage is gone. Yeah. So we kind of expect them to keep spending that principal and interest until it falls off, at which point the rest sure. of their spending would continue. And what about like, I mean, it's a smaller num a factor usually, but what about like car payments and stuff like that? You know, other kind of com consumer loans they have? Yeah, yeah, great question. So ones like student loans, we tend to actually factor in because when those are paid off, they are fully paid off, right? Mm -hmm. Interestingly mm -hmm. enough, car payments and things like that, we typically just keep as part of their regular burn rate, right? Okay. Because that's such a that depreciating asset that whether you pay in full for a car as a lump sum or finance it as a payment, you're always paying for it in some way, shape, or form, right? Okay. It's, it's part of your burn rate, whether you pay 50 grand for it every 10 years as five grand a year, right? Or yeah. it's part of your burn rate as that $250 car payment every month. So sure. we tend to not really factor that in as having an end date. And what about, so I can, I can really see where, um, like, for example, the kind of savings you're doing uh, now would not be counted in burner because the, I assume the assumption is that once you get into retirement, you're not really going to be saving anymore, at least not in that way. Yeah. But what about, yeah. well, the other thing I was wondering about, um, but you will still need some sort of health insurance and potentially some mm -hmm. life insurance and all that kind of stuff. So why wouldn't that stuff be in the burn rate? It really depends on when someone's target retirement date is for that okay. individual. You know, if a person feels like they really are satisfied in their work and even if they drop down to 30 hours a week, you know, in different healthcare fields and things, that's an option to still remain fully on benefits. You know, sure. a lot of those types of folks who could have that option of just dropping down time to have more quality of life are perfectly happy working till 65 when they're on Medicare, right? So then that's not as much a concern. For people who really want to retire at 62, 60, you know, 59 and a half when all accounts are liquid to them without a penalty, then you do almost need to buffer your savings with an additional lump sum amount that's going to be available for paying those healthcare premiums out of pocket or building on kind of an excess of a ten to $15,000 burn rate for a couple at least for the first three to five years of retirement, right? So your burn rate might yeah. be 85,000 in a normal sense, but maybe we plug in some assumptions that really it needs to be 95 to 100 from age 62 to 65, at which case then you're on Medicare and it drops down. I think that's the piece I was missing, was that uh, once you hit 65, Medicare is covering your mm -hmm. health I just, I don't have that in my mind at all. Okay, so that's excellent. So you get the burn rate. Yeah. I've heard so many people, uh, so many different numbers for how to calculate you know, you, you know what you're shooting for now um, with your burn rate, 
to how much retirement you need to be able to pull that out. Uh, Another question before I even finish that question, I guess. Um, Do you operate on the assumption that people will, for their burn rate, they will live on just the returns from their investments and not tap into their principal? Or do you also kind of expect that they will spend down some of that retirement nest egg over time to help extend their their potential burn rate opportunities? I'm not seeing that very well. Yeah, great question. I think it's a great question. And I think it really varies from person to person. It's more a conversation mm. of what their goal is, right? And, and so a lot of folks, especially people with kids, right, or grandkids and, and family oriented, don't necessarily want to spend down their assets, right? They like see. to leave some sort of a legacy or even people that are really philanthropically inclined, right? They maybe want mm-hmm. to make sure there's something left over for those charities they've supported. So I think that that's more driven by the conversation of what the client's goal is. You know, financial planning and retirement planning, it's an art, it is not a science. You know, it could be a perfect science if we all knew guaranteed investments were out there that gave you an 8%. You know, that's not how it works. And it could also be a perfect science if we all knew the date we were going to be put in the ground. Right. Those are the two things missing that make it impossible to perfectly plan principal preservation and or if you're going to be dipping into that portfolio over the 30 years, you might be supporting your own income. Right. But what drives after you know what way a person or a couple's leaning as it relates to we'd like to try and only live off the earnings or on the flip side, you know, we're okay spending down to the last dollar. That would be our goal because we've given our kids enough, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is a way of thinking of it. Um, mm-hmm. Then what that conversation really then leads to is what the appropriate withdrawal rate on your investments should be to achieve Mm -hmm. that goal either one way or the other Mm -hmm. Um, so typically in the industry overall you know it used to be people always said a four to five percent withdrawal rate is sustainable meaning hopefully over time your accounts and portfolios if they're you know pretty moderate should be averaging anywhere from four to seven percent annualized return not every year like last year right but on average and that should hopefully support that withdrawal rate to preserve principal that's come down even it's a little more conservative now where if you're starting withdrawals in your 60s you should maybe stick closer to you know sometimes even a two but a three percent withdrawal rate Mm -hmm. Um, but then the older you get the more that withdrawal rate percentage can creep up because Mm -hmm. you have a shorter time horizon right Mm -hmm. that you're needing to support income from yeah and so, how did, this has got to be a really tricky question, but if people are sitting down to try and plan all that out, how do they pick a number where they think they're going to be done? I mean, obviously, we think that kind of keeps going up, potentially. I mean, do they really do sort of a, a self-aware sense of their health at this time? Do they just pick a number out of the air for 85 or 90 or 95 or whatever? And, and do you have any particular recommendations for them in planning how long for this whole retirement uh, program to last? That just seems so complicated. 
Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because, I mean, obviously, if you look at the statistics going back as far as, you know, how long life expectancy was when Social Security started, you know, it was 66, mm -hmm. and now we don't even start that until 67. Mm -hmm. So obviously, mm -hmm. we've blown that out of the water just with health awareness and medical advances. So usually, I'd say there are tables out there, life expectancy tables. You know, we mm. plug them into all of our assumptions and build that out for clients. But usually, you know, for women, it's it's longer than men. And they'll give you the statistics around, you know, on average, one in four women will live to XYZ age and 50, 50 of them will live to this, you know. So, so they're out there, the tables. But then I really tailor it back to, you know, your own health, personally, habits and family history, right, of mm -hmm. different types of health awareness. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that's, you know, usually it's kind of taking the statistics part of it, but then also how do you bring that into someone in their own personal experience? Yeah, it's really frightening to think about actually running out, you know, like you're doing okay, you've got your retirement, you know, the balance set pretty well, you can live pretty comfortably on your, uh, you know, your returns from your investments and all of a sudden you're like oh my god we're out now what are we going to do so i mm -hmm. guess this is personally my own fears but i think my instincts would be even though we're probably not one of those families that uh would want to try and leave everything you know for the kids but there's probably kind of a, a medium number where it's a nice little thing to leave you know it's not life-changing and it also doubles as that buffer in case we live a lot longer than we mm -hmm. thought we would. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that's the case more often than not. And the main reason I bring up the burn rate is because when it comes to retirement planning, there's not that much, I mean, you can do. There's three parts of it, right? How long do you work, a.k.a. when do you retire, the yeah. time, age? How much do you save until you get there? And then how much do you spend when you're there? on an annual basis. That's, those yeah. are the three variables. And so yeah. well, before you're there, the interesting thing is this cause and effect relationship between the save and the spend. Those two things go hand in hand, right? And they are a double impact because typically the less you're spending now means the more you're saving now because it's going somewhere. It's all the income. It's all that same annual amount coming in. So if you're not spending it, you're saving it which is building the odds on that saving side, but it's also building the habit of how much you spend. So that then transitions into when you're in retirement, now that spend amount is less because you trained yourself getting there. So, yeah. so that's just a really interesting thing because you know that's everything we do. You know, there's always this cause and effect relationship and it's all in our brains, this fight or flight mentality of now it's really unhealthy. You know, the one click in Amazon, the subscriptions that just keep going, right? All these things are not really wired to how our brains function. And it's, it's very dangerous as it relates to just getting used to over time spending a lot more than you think you are. And that mm -hmm. makes that retirement burn rate harder to achieve. Yeah. No, I love it. That's really good. Thank you. Super helpful. As always, Molly, thank you for your wise insights. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>
It's always fun, David. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that is our Raise Your Outer Game for this week. And uh, next up, our Charging Station Challenge. All right, our Charging Station Challenge of the Week. Last week, we had you pick one thing that makes you feel good. Going for a walk, getting to bed on time, whatever it might be, and do that every day. Hope you enjoyed that. There's a lot to like in that exercise. This week, no surprise, I want you to think about our Inner Game Gold quote this week. You have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. Again, this observation opens up everything and frees us in such a wonderful way. So it's an amazing thing to sit with and contemplate even for just a few minutes. See if you get to the point where it's not an idea, but it's a self-evident statement of observable fact. That's the goal with this challenge. Once a day, sit with this idea, let it become real for you, and as usual, share your thoughts and experience in the community. If you're not in the community yet, click the link in the notes. It's free, just register. You can go straight into the challenge. And that's it for this week's Charging Station Challenge. Next up, highly recommended. All right, highly recommended. These, of course, are things I'm crazy about right now. Books, shows, gadgets, things I love and recommend. I have an interesting new show to talk about, and this one will likely not speak to a lot of people, but for some reason I'm really loving it, which is a documentary series called Full Swing on Netflix. It's about golf. It's following the PGA Tour. And I'm only two episodes in, but it's really fascinating. I don't know much about golf, especially at the pro level, but I'm super interested in the mindset uh, aspect of sports, of course, and golf is one of the hardest. I mean, you think about how intense that must be mentally. They have so much time to spend in their head between shots, between rounds. There is so little difference between the players in skill. They say that all the time, that basically anyone can win at any time, and it really is true. And the nature of the Pro Tour is so brutal. Every event, completely on your own. You can bust out and get nothing. You can win and get millions, and you never know. It's incredible. So anyway, I'm really enjoying it so far, and if you might be interested, I think you would too. And that's my highly recommended for this week, and that's it for this episode this week's episode. If you like what you heard, please do tell your friends, invite them to join us, and rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps more people find the show and get the mental game boost we all need. If you have teenagers in sports, check out our Mental Game Starter Kit. It's a great set of resources to get you started on the path of helping your child boost their mental game. RaiseYourInnerGame.com, scroll to the bottom, you can learn about it and register there. It's all free, of course. Super helpful resources there. If you'd like to support the show so we can keep things ad-free, please click the Buy Me a Coffee link below and thank you for that. For more mental game goodness, please join our free community, the Raise Your Inner Game Charging Station. Click the link here. Go to raiseyourinnergame.com community. It's totally free. You'll love that. We'd love to have you join us there. Also, if you're listening to this on audio but you like video, we post all our episodes on our YouTube channel now as well. There's a link to that in the show notes. And finally, we'll close as we usually do with Leo Tolstoy, again from the Raise Your Game book. The ultimate purpose in life is to serve humanity. That's what we're doing. Not just us, us together, you and I. We're serving the people in our lives. It's super important. 
So keep up the good work, and we'll see.